Royce Lewis. Royce Lewis. That's, uh, be honest, be real Blue Jays fans. Coming into Tuesday afternoon, game one, Blue Jays twins. How much did you know about Royce Lewis? That's your villain today. No, villain for us. Probably, probably a bit of a hero in Minnesota right now. You'd have to think. As uh, they snap an 18-game playoff losing streak against your Toronto Blue Jays. That was, that's, uh, that's fun. Uh, three to one, Twins take game one. Lead the best two out of three, one game to nothing. Matt Robinson with you in our uh, studios here in beautiful Bytown, Canada. Welcome inside the Talkie and Audio podcast. This will be short. This will be quick. Uh, just some thoughts, you know, before we kind of roll on. And uh, I should let you know. Uh, we're jamming in another bonus pot. Man, we have put out so many pods for you guys over the last couple of weeks. The tempo, the speed, the pace with which we're pumping these out at this point has become pretty sweet and uh, very happy about that. And we're going to keep it going as tomorrow, which uh, as I sit here, it's uh, it's Tuesday night. On Wednesday afternoon, I'm going to sit down with Ian from the Whippersnapper Brewing Company. And some of you would have seen this already. I can tell by the social media attention that it got when he tweeted it out. The Whippersnapper Brewing Company has a new beer. They happened to tag us in their tweet. Uh, said it was coming out soon. I had to I had to reach in. How how soon? How how soon can we do? And it turns out Wednesday is the day. So we're going to have Ian in here. We'll talk a little about the brewery. We'll talk a little about the beer. We'll talk a little hockey. Uh, Ian's a good guy over there. We've talked a bit about the Whippersnapper Brewing Company here over the last couple of months. And uh, so it'll be good to actually have him on the show. But as we circle back to what happened on Tuesday afternoon, <sighs> Royce Lewis. Royce Lewis was drafted first overall in 2017. Ton of hype behind this guy. And it just didn't click for a while. Ran into some injury troubles. Every time it looked like he was sort of going to get up and get it going, he ended up hurt again. And he doesn't make it to the majors until 2022. And I understand that in baseball, the development path takes a little bit longer. It's not like you draft a guy in the NHL at 18 years old in June and drop him into your lineup that October. It takes some time. Uh, But he doesn't get there until 2022. And this was longer than most people would have predicted. But he starts to get a foothold in Minnesota. And this year, he hit 15 home runs for the Minnesota Twins in the regular season. And uh, hit two more today against your Toronto Blue Jays. That amounted to all of the scoring the Twins would need. The first one is a two-run shot off Kevin Gossman. Uh, Well, both of them off Kevin Gossman. The second one, just a solo bomb, luckily. Uh, But... This is what happens in playoff baseball. And I'm not taking anything away from Royce Lewis. Clearly an accomplished player. Clearly had a good year. Clearly has settled in. But that's not the name you would have expected to blow you up in game one if you're a casual Blue Jays fan. Byron Buxton's been hurt, but that's a name that Blue Jays fan recognize. Carlos Correa, uh, you know, not a strong power guy, but that's a star that Blue Jays fans recognize and maybe would have expected him to be the villain. Nope. No. Royce Lewis. So that'll be the story of game one. And in Minnesota, if they go on to win this series and and have any sort of run in the playoffs, uh, Royce Lewis maybe has a statue outside, uh, outside target field, but this will be the Royce Lewis game. No doubt. As far as what happened to the Jays, I think in some ways, And I want to focus just for a second on Kevin Gosman, and then we'll get into the game more at large. This was your worst nightmare as far as a Kevin Gosman game goes. 
because we have seen him over the last couple of years struggle against the Twins. And there's been a lot of talk, especially coming into this series. When you knew he was your ace, when you knew you were doing everything you could over the course of the weekend while you were trying to qualify to not have to use him Sunday so that he would be available for you on Tuesday for game one, this is your guy. There was never any question about that. But with that being said, there were some concerning numbers against the Twins that you've seen over the last couple of years. And lots of people read lots of different things into this. Is it just a lineup that is constructed with hitters who seem to read him fairly well? I think that's it. I think that's what you're looking at. But you see the conspiracy theorists out there. You see other ideas that maybe they have something on them. A twitch, a tell of some kind that that maybe other teams aren't picking up on. Uh, That's possible, I suppose. I think that's less likely than just this being a lineup that is perhaps uniquely constructed to excel against a pitcher like Kevin Gosman. And so there was some worry about that going into game one, and those worries sort of turned out to be fairly well-founded. He didn't look great. They were very patient on, on that splitter, right? They weren't biting at it. And when he is going well, you know it's that splitter down in the zone that's going to dive low and sometimes right out of the zone. Sometimes Kirky's going to frame that properly. Sometimes they swing over top of it. And that that fastball is the one that's going to be up higher in the zone. Well, the last couple times the Twins have seen him, they know that. And everyone knows it. But knowing it and being able to lay off it, having it look like that's right there to be smashed and then having it dive lower out of the zone... These are very different things, right? But they just won't bite on it. And you saw it right there in the first inning where they just were taking pitches, making them work, uh, pushing that pitch count higher and higher. And, of course, you get the the two-run home run from Royce Lewis there right away. It was clear early on in the game that this hadn't been a coincidence. This idea that the Twins are good against Kevin Gosman wasn't just this aberration and wasn't going to be a factor today. It was going to be a factor today, and you saw it right away. Now, down to nothing. My Twitter feed is already in shambles. People saying, get him out of there, get the pen up, all these sorts of things. He does end up getting through the fourth. His last inning was the best inning that he threw. He gave you a little more length, and frankly... 3 nothing, which is what he left at, isn't backbreaking if your offense is playing well, and ours didn't. It's not what you want. You want what Pablo Lopez did for the Twins, which is come out and baffle our hitters, although a lot of people have been baffling our hitters. But Gosman wasn't able to, to give you that. It wasn't a disastrous start, but it was clear, yeah, that this wasn't going to be one of those you know, one of those Kevin Gosman games that he strikes out a ton and and goes deep for you. It was early. It was obvious early on that wasn't going to be the case. Uh, I mentioned Pablo Lopez and and what he was able to do to the Jays' offense. Uh, they, it's interesting. They got some hits. They got some guys on base, and they just couldn't bring them around. And this is something we've talked about a few times with some of our guests here recently on the podcast especially ever since, and maybe it's just the name, and maybe I'm overplaying who said it. But this idea 
seemed to come to light after Alex Anthopoulos was on the radio in Toronto a couple of weeks ago. This idea that sometimes against everybody's top pitcher, which is what you're getting in playoff baseball, you don't string together hits. At some point, you got to crush a home run or two. You get a guy on and, and had it have a two-run home run that ties up the game or takes the lead or something like that. You can't just count on a single here and then a base hit over there and then a walk here and a whatever. The pitching's too good. At some point, you're going to have to have that fireworks play that kind of brings it all around at once as opposed to, like I said, sort of stringing them together. And I think this game was sort of like that. We saw some guys make some contact, I think, immediately late in the game of Chapman going all the way out to the wall and center. Um, but it just didn't come together for them today. And to me, and maybe it's unfair, we don't have to point fingers, it's one game, and this is the thing that I want to get to next. But like, George Springer, who we've all been talking about as like, man, a playoff guy, right? Has some World Series titles with uh, the Houston Astros, regardless of what we think of the Astros and the titles that they won. Um, you know, a, a long history in the playoffs. 0 for 5 today. Not very good. Not very good. Bo got on base a couple of times. A baffling decision to me in the fourth inning where he rounds third with a guy like Correa still trying to play the ball at short. I see some disagreement on this. Um, Louis Rivera, your third base coach, had the stop sign up telling Bo, uh, telling Bo don't go for it. You're not going to get there. He blows through the stop sign. He sort of slows down, but then he looks back over his shoulder and it's he sees Correa doesn't yet have complete control of it. And he goes, I'm, I'm going for it. Well, this is Carlos Correa. And think what you want. He didn't quite have the year this year that some of his past years have been. That is still an elite shortstop. And he picks it up and guns Bo out at home plate. And it's not even, it's not, it's not close. The, the, the stop sign's up for a reason. That's a hero play. Uh, and like I said, I've seen the other side of it. I hear people talking about, well, he didn't have, Correa didn't have control of it yet. You know, maybe it was worth the risk there. Not to me in that moment. It wasn't, you were starting to chip away a little bit. You were getting a couple of hits. I don't know. I I wouldn't have gone for it at that point. I, that to be fair, goes against exactly what I just said, that it's hard to string hits together. And so stopping him at third and counting on the next guy to, to get you that base hit. Maybe that's the wrong play. I I don't know, but I, I, to me, it didn't make sense to be running into an out like that at home plate and ending the inning, which is exactly what happened. Um, You know, they got on base a couple of times. I didn't think Lopez was completely unhittable or anything like that. They got on base. And at one point, I'd have to go back and look now, um, as in the eighth, I guess it was, Minnesota got a couple more hits. But at one point, the Jays late in the game were out hitting Minnesota. So it wasn't like they were unable to get on base, but they had no power. And uh, they weren't able to to get around it. And you start to see, like, there were moments late in that game where Kevin Biggio is overmatched as your five hitter. And I, I've been impressed with what he's done, especially in the second half of the season. Really nice kind of rounding into form, guy who knows how to take it. But when you're facing the best of the best all the time, that guy can't be your fifth hitter. And you start to see how the depth in this lineup becomes a problem. And maybe nowhere more than when you pinch hit Dalton Varsho and bring in Whit, Mar- uh, Whit Merrifield. Whit Merrifield is like a bottom 10 to 20 hitter over the last couple of months, according to most metrics. That's who you're pinch hitting with. 
we talked about this from spring training on, like before spring training. At some point, they're going to go out and they'll get themselves a right-handed outfield bat that can kind of utility off the bench and, and this will be fine. Your Robbie Grossman type was the stand-in we kept using. And they didn't do it through spring training. They didn't do it at the deadline. The only position player help they went out to get at the deadline was DeYoung, and they kicked him off the roster like a couple of weeks later. You needed today, like I said, especially if you're looking for that long bomb, you needed some help, some right-handed power off the bench that could go in for Varsho in left field. And Whit Merrifield is not that guy. Whit Merrifield had had some, some moments this season where you were glad he was around and it wasn't the disaster that it looked like that trade might have been. But over the last month or two, he hasn't hit. He can't be that guy. He can't be that pinch hit guy that, that in that moment. It doesn't work. And we saw it. Didn't work. So, um, I mentioned a second ago the idea of the, the vibe of this game. And, and sort of how this looked. This, this wasn't, by any means, game two last year against Seattle where you blow the huge lead. This wasn't you getting robbed by fantastic pitching and defense, although the pitching and defense that Minnesota ran out there was pretty good. Nice play by the first baseman right there to end the game when it looked like you were creating a little pressure with uh, with two out. Pablo Lopez was fine. Probably better than fine. I'm not trying to be an asshole about it. But he wasn't like unhittable, as we mentioned earlier. This looked like a mid-July kind of afternoon game in Minnesota and sometimes you just lose. The Jays weren't excelling. They weren't killing it and somehow unjustly being robbed. They weren't shitting the bed like, oh my God, this is the worst game I've ever seen. This just looked like some random midseason baseball game. And that's not a defense, right? It, it, it can't look like that. You got to find a way to create some offense and, and make some things happen. And they weren't able to do that. But this, for some reason, didn't feel like that playoff tension and everything is on the line and you have to make this happen right now. That desperation didn't really appear to be there for the Jays. And maybe it's hard to look like that, right? Like you you can't just go up there and swing harder and have that work. You have to be patient. You have to wait. You have to get your pitch. I understand these things. But this game just didn't have that playoff desperation feel to it. And I expect on Wednesday it will. Uh, win or go home. John Schneider said after game one, everyone is available on the pitching staff. Jose Barrios is going to start. Um, I guess I'm fine with that. Jose Barrios had a pretty good year. The only other guy you would consider starting would be Chris Bassett. And they're going to save him for Thursday, game three, if it gets there. Uh, as I said, John Schneider mentioned after game one, Everyone is available, and that came on the heels of someone asking, would you use Chris Bassett on Wednesday? And so I guess if he feels like that's something he has to do, he would do it. You have to stay alive by any means necessary. But I would be surprised if you saw him coming out of the pen behind Barrios. The question here is that Minnesota has some some pretty good left-handed hitters sprinkled into their lineup. And Barrios hasn't had a ton of success. He's been okay, but he hasn't been great against lefties. And like I said, really the only other guy you would consider going to in that moment then to start game two would be Bassett. And his numbers aren't that much better against lefties. And again, these guys aren't getting crushed by lefties, but you're talking about incremental decisions here, right? 
5% here, 2% there. Like, where can I improve my chances just a little bit? And so these are the things that you're looking at. And and in terms of facing those lefties, Chris Bassett is is not particularly a huge upgrade over over what Barrios is going to bring you. So, But everyone else is available. Kikuchi out of the pen. Maybe you'll see that for a couple innings if you have to. Uh, most of the relievers that the Jays used on, on Tuesday in game one, only through 15, 16 pitches. You can go back to them if you have to. Although Jordan Hicks did not look particularly convincing. That's a little alarming because over the last week or two of the season, Jordan Romano didn't look particularly convincing. And those are your closer types. Should you be in a tight one late with a lead? Uh, I'm not really sure why you used Hicks here. I get trying to hold it and get yourself one more chance, um, you know, in the ninth inning. But if there was any sort of mystique, right, like any sort of intimidation that he might have, the Twins knowing he's sitting down there as a guy who could come in, uh, he got two outs very quickly and then just lost his control completely. He was all over the place, missing walking guys. It wasn't good. So that mystique, is gone. That intimidation factor is gone. You let them get a look at you today for no real reason. You could have you could have closed that game out with somebody else, in my opinion. I wouldn't have used him here. But uh, yeah, he said uh, everybody will be available. Everybody will be available on Wednesday, and we'll take him at his word on that. So disappointing game one, certainly. But like I said, looked like a random midweek game in in mid season somewhere, and just as often as not, you come back and win the next one the next day. So, uh, it'll be Sonny Gray on the mound for Minnesota. He's no joke either. Um, you know, lots of talk. He'll be like a top five AL Cy Young guy. So not going to be easy on that side of it either, but, uh, you know, sometimes you got to beat good pitching. That's what it is in the playoffs. And, uh, and that's what's going to have to happen on Wednesday in game two for, uh, for the Jays. That's probably about enough for today. Don't forget. We're going to, uh, jam in an extra episode here. Uh, with Ian from the Whippersnapper Brewing Company over the next day or two. And if you've missed it, episode 1174 is available now. We talked to Scott MacArthur, a name that a lot of you will be very familiar with, uh, especially when you're talking Jays. Uh, but a guy who's worked sports talk radio in Toronto and in Ottawa. Uh, he's taken his, uh, he's taken himself out to Nova Scotia, following a different path now, and it's great to catch up with him. Uh, love Scotty Mack and, and love that he made some time for us. You can check that out at talkinaudio.com or wherever you're hearing us right now. But that's where we'll wrap this up. My name is Matt Robinson. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoy game two, and uh, hopefully we force a game three. See you next time. That's it. Not work under these conditions. If anybody wants me, I'll be downstairs at McDougal. Call the weekend guy. I don't care.